0: whom much is given much is required part of that requirement is sharing culture is the heartbeat within our lives and it's at the core of so many things while we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom i welcome you to your wisdom retreat at culture raises us yes so today's guest uh mr larry miller can't thank you enough uh Many of you may know him as the former president of the Jordan brand and also former president of the Portland Trailblazers. Um, but there's a great deal more to who he is, um, and I'll let him expand on that shortly. But before we do so, we always start with our signature question. And when you hear culture, what does that mean to you?
1: Culture <clears throat> culture to me is um, is it's a way a group of people do things, whether it's what they eat, how they dress, the art that they are into, the music that they're into. And these are things that kind of bring these folks together and create community around it. And for me, um, you know, black culture has had such an influence on this country that it's really, uh, you know, it's really to me. When I think of culture, I just think about the impact that we've had on the culture of this country. Uh, if you think about a lot mm-hmm. of the things that are ingrained ingrained in this culture, a lot of them come from us. The other thing about culture, to me, is that um, it's something that is sustainable. It's something that lasts. It's not you know things come and go, trends kind of come and go, but for something to actually be part of culture, it's got to it's got to have sustainability
0: and some um, sticking power. So yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, I, sticking power for sure.
0: I love that, and so. Um, thank you for that and and the clarity, you know, I I always love getting the perspective of everybody on culture, um, on this platform. And it's always interesting to see the POVs, um, and the the variances and the similarities, right? Uh, but I want to talk about, you know, I I never necessarily, you know, learned everything about you. And so I want to now get a chance to learn a little bit more about you, right? So could you share a little bit more about yourself, um, your background, your upbringing and all the things that kind of lead to how I kind of teed you up in the beginning?
1: So, um, I,
0: uh, I earlier or about a year ago,
1: um, I put out a book that was based on, uh, based on kind of sharing my story, my journey. Uh, it was a book that my daughter, my oldest daughter actually pushed and drove me to, uh, to, to do because I didn't want to do it. And the reality is um, there were a lot of things about my past that people I knew, people I worked with, people I was great friends with had no clue about yeah. my background. And so uh, my daughter, it took her a long time. And over the years, she finally convinced me. And so her and I wrote this book together. And it, it, it basically uh, talks about my career, but it goes before my career and the things that that uh, were a part of my life before my career growing up in west philly um from all, all through elementary school i was like uh, you know smartest kid in the class teachers and i was that kid that did everything to try to please teachers and parents uh, once i kind of got to middle school what we called junior high school back then um I started to change, and my priorities started to change. It it became more important to me to please people in the street than parents and teachers, and that le- that led me to uh, to getting into a lot of trouble. I joined a gang uh, when I was about twelve or thirteen years old. Um, was in and out of trouble, uh, in and out of jail. Uh, when I was sixteen years old, uh, I shot another young man. He died, and uh i was uh arrested and charged as an adult uh with, i pleaded guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to four and a half to 20 years uh did the four and a half um got my ged while i was uh while i was incarcerated yeah. did the four and a half got out and was still caught up in the revolving door that um you know that that is something that a lot of our folks have to deal with where you get caught up in the criminal justice system and it just becomes a revolving door. you you get out and you're back right. in, uh, you know, you, yep. co- you come out with the same mentality or worse mentality, get into the same thing. And so I was caught up in that. Um, the last time I was incarcerated, I had, uh, five armed robbery charges. Uh, and fortunately I was sentenced to a total of, uh, four years and nine months. Um, and as I was doing that sentence, uh, at the, the facility I was at, a place called Greaterford in Pennsylvania, they had a program there where you could take college classes inside the jail and then you could, you know, qualify to transfer to these trailers that were outside the jail and you lived in those trailers and left every day to go to school and just had to be back by eight o'clock at night. And when I heard about that program, I was like, hey, you know, if I got to do time, that's how I want to do it. Like how living about in that? those trailers. How about that? But 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 uh, but once I got into the program, um, it, eventually I started to really believe that I could change my life through mm. education, and um, I got my associate's degree while I was in that program. Uh, transferred to a halfway house in North Philadelphia, and uh, started at Temple University as a as a junior. Um, got my bachelor's degree in accounting from Temple University. Uh, started my career working at Campbell Soup Company uh as an accountant and Campbell's had a yeah. uh, a program there where you could uh could do, you could take classes if you passed the class it, they would reimburse you 100% uh for the tuition so wow. I looked at that as kind of free money so I, I actually got my MBA while working yeah. at Campbell Soup and they basically paid for it through reimburse reimbursement yeah. um so got my MBA in finance and marketing and uh <clears throat> Uh, then, you know, went from Campbell Soup to Philadelphia Newspapers, which was the publisher of the two daily papers in Philadelphia. Uh, from there, uh, worked at Kraft Foods for a few years uh, in the dairy division, which is uh, located, which was located in Philadelphia at the time. Um, and then ended up uh, going to work for a company called Janssen out of Portland. They make swimwear, and sportswear. That's right. Moved to Portland moved to Portland to work for Janssen. I, I started there as the controller. Um, and after being there a couple of years, um, actually uh, became the president of, of Janssen. Yeah. And uh, and through, through that process, uh, I was sitting around with some folks one day, we were just kind of talking about how we could grow the business. And um, we came up with this idea of getting into competition swimwear, which is the speedo type stuff yeah. that the Olympic hey, hey, hey. swimmers wear. And so, you know, we were talking about it and I was like, you know, we should talk to Nike. Maybe we can work out some kind of deal with them where, you know, their brand is athletic, authentic. We know how to make swimwear. We're both located here. Maybe there's a, an opportunity here. Um, long story short, uh, ended up, uh, working out a deal with Nike where Jansen became the licensee for Nike swimwear. And that deal is still in place today. Actually. Um, yeah, was so about I I think process, Kelly
0: Hibbler's over there doing
1: that. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And through that process, uh, got to know some of the folks at at, uh, at at Nike. One of them was a guy named Stephen Gomez. I don't know if you remember Stephen. He Stephen Gomez oh, was okay. the head of global apparel. He was the global head okay. of apparel for Nike. Um, okay. And Stephen and I, Stephen and I, kind of agreed that uh, we would both really focus on this partnership because for Nike, it was one of the first partnerships like this that they had done and for jansen it was a big deal absolutely so he and i would get together he and i would get together maybe uh once a quarter or so and just kind of talk about what was going on with the business and sometimes we do that over dinner and the last time i remember driving home thinking i feel like i just got interviewed and <laughs> sure enough uh sure enough a couple weeks later uh uh steven reached out and said hey would you ever have any uh interest in coming to work for nike and, uh, of course, I said I did. Uh, my first job at Nike actually was the head of pe- apparel in the U.S. Uh, we were structured a little bit different then. And, ah. uh, and my my first role was the head of apparel in the U.S. And I didn't know it at the time. Um, I didn't know it until, uh, until I got there. But at the time, I was the first black vice president in the history of the company when Good I started. It cash. It gosh. And uh, so that put a little added pressure on. Um, right. But... But uh, but uh, I, so I did that apparel job for about a year and a half, and then, you know, as MJ was about to retire from the Bulls, uh, for the second time, there was a lot of talk about, hey, what's going to happen with the uh, Jordan business going forward? And uh, there were a n- number of people, uh, Howard White being one of them, who had kind of the, what had kind of one of the loudest voices that was Absolutely. saying, hey, there's op- there's opportunity beyond MJ's playing days with this, and. Uh, so H kind of put threw my name in the hat and, um, and I was asked to, uh, put a team together and strategies on how we were going to take, uh, that, that logo and the business that was about 140, $150 million at the time, and how, wow. we gonna, how we were going to, how we were going to grow it. And, um, you know, fortunately, uh, we were able to, to have some success with that. And, uh, and then the Trailblazers actually reached out to me at a certain point and, um, and initially I was like, you know, I don't know anything about running an NBA team. You know, I, I, I don't know anything about that, but the more I thought about it and the more I got into it and then, you know, what really tipped the scale for me to, to say, yeah, I was going to take that job and, and leave Nike and take that job was the fact that, um, I felt like it was an opportunity for people that look like me, young people in particular to see somebody that looks like them in a role like president of the Portland Trailblazers. And I thought that could maybe give them something that they could aspire to. And that was really the main reason that I I decided to take the job at the Trailblazer. Taking the
0: Blazer job.
1: Yep. Yep. And uh, I did that for five years. uh, And ended up back at Nike and back at the Jordan brand. I met MJ for the first time when I was, uh, after I started working at Nike. And uh, I, I'll never forget. I, I had been talking about. I was out, This is what I was in the apparel job, and I've been talking about the opportunity that I felt like we had in apparel. Uh, you know, with the Jordan, with Jordan, and so uh, MJ was. Oh, the Bulls were coming to Seattle to play the Sonics, and uh, and I, I actually got invited to come up and and share. I wanted to share my this idea I had with MJ. So I go up and I'm <clears> we're <throat> all sitting in this suite. There's a bunch bunch of people there, and they're showing him product. And you know, we're talking. And I, I'm like, I'm the new guy. I'm just sitting in the back of the room, kind of listening. And then, um, at one point, they're showing MJ product, and he he's holding this shoe in his hand. He's looking at this shoe, and he, they're talking, and he's looking at it. And then I I finally I, I I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, to me, I think that shoe would look a whole lot better if the tongue were black. And, uh, if you it, know, MJ's looking at the shoe. Uh, and finally he says, can we make the tongue black on this? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I, after that meeting, he and I <laughs> sat wedding. down and I kind of shared my perspective. Yeah, I kind of shared my perspective on what I thought we could do with uh, with with Jordan brand from an apparel perspective. Because at the time, and, and you know this, Aster, at the time, uh, the Urban Brands, we're taking, they they were, they were designing product to, to match our shoes. They took the space. Exactly. They, exactly. They said, With Hey, the you know what? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nike's leaving. Mackey's leaving this open. Here's uh you know, they, they, they would get our catalogs, our footwear catalog and then match the colors up.
0: Right. Listen, <laughs> right? Le- Larry, Thanks. Larry, what's so, what's so funny about this, that you're saying this I always said the Jordan brand in apparel in particular was the best thing to happen for urban apparel companies and designers because it created a space for them to come in and create against the most sought after items to hook up to. Cause back then to your point, it we was all about the hookup. It. So being, and, 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 and Jordan brand was not delivering against it. We were not, we were not doing it. We were not doing, I I never forget this. When I first
1: started at Nike, I was in, uh, uh, Nike town, San Francisco. I walk in and I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, looking around. I see this young lady, uh, go walks over to the shoes and she picks up this shoe and she's looking at the shoe. And then she starts walking through the store, trying to match product, apparel product to the shoe. Couldn't find it. She couldn't find anything. She put the, she put the shoe back. So I'm like not only did we lose a How shoe about sale but we lost the apparel sales as well. And so uh so I kind of shared right. my perspective with MJ that I thought we had an opportunity there. And uh and and you know we we finally are getting after apparel in Georgia now finally. I mean our apparel business is, is is doing really really well now. It's it's finally where I think it's uh on track to be where it should be but but we you you're absolutely right. We provided an opportunity for the urban brands to create the hookups. And you know i'm not I'm not all the way mad about that. i'm I'm actually I feel that we provided an opportunity there, which I think is good.
0: The runway, the the runway, you provided the runway, you provided the runway for amazing creatives to have a space and help shape culture which is awesome. So it, you're right. It was kind of the gift and the curse, but the gift that came from it is so much bigger than that of if Jordan Apparel would have met the brief at that time, all these creatives may not exist. And even today it might be a whole different landscape of what black creatives, black brands look like. Because again, I remember it like it was yesterday getting tapped by the Mecca guys, Aniche guys, the fat farm guys, everybody to forget the catalogs mm-hmm. to hook up to the it shoes. Is. And that created a whole thing. So, I'm so glad that you mentioned that piece of, and I, I'll call it history for lack of a better term, so that people really get understanding of, of how this oh, culture was really birthed and the things that took place to get it, get it there. And so, you know, I unfortunately never had the opportunity to work for you um, while you were heading up the Jordan brand, but we always, always had a great rapport okay. during my time there. And I always had a great deal of respect for you As you would always make time to touch base, have real conversations. And I also noticed that you moved very differently um, than most, which was something that I appreciated. And as I look at you and your story, I definitely feel like you exemplify this culture of redemption. Right. And in your recently published book that you talk about your your upbringing and the evolution into the man you are today. Tell us why you felt like that moment was the right time to publish this book. And what do you want America's youth to really take away from your redemption story? So, uh, as I said, I, for forty years I ran from this story. I
1: hid from the story. I, uh, you know, I, I had nightmares of being exposed. I had migraines uh, that, that took me to uh, the ER on multiple occasions, all because I was anxious Biff. and nervous that somehow the story would come out and that it would ruin the things that I was trying to build, because to me, um, when what, what I, when Man. I was initially graduating from, from Temple, uh, I, back then it was what was called the big eight accounting. Firms. And if you were graduating with an accounting yes. degree, you wanted to work for one of the big eight. And the one that I had kind of Absolutely. targeted was, uh, what was, was called Arthur Anderson. And, um, what there Interview spent the whole day there interviewing and, and all day asking the back of my mind, I'm like, should I share my story with these folks? Because all they knew is hey, I, I was a young black person and- about to graduate from Temple University with honors. So they were looking to hire me. So I go the whole day and That's finally right. I get to the last I get to the last person who's like the hiring manager. And I decide I'm gonna share my story with them. So I said, hey, you know, there's something I need to tell you that uh, didn't come out in the other interviews. And so I go ahead and kind of share with him my story, the things that I've been through. And as I'm talking, I could see his face changing, not in a good way. Right. And finally, I got through and he said. He said, wow, that's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm sure he said, I'm sure you're right. going to do great. And he reached in his pocket and pulled out a, an envelope. And he said, um, he said, I have offer letter here already to give you. But I can't give it to you now," he said. "I, oh, wow. I can't take that chair." So he he was like, I, I, "I'm sorry. I wish you the best, but I can't hire you." And from that point on, I decided that I wasn't going to share the information. If it came up, I wasn't going to deny it. I wasn't going to lie, but I wasn't going to volunteer the information. And for forty years, that's how I approached my career. Like I'm, I'm going to you know not share this information. So everybody from M.J. to Phil Knight to Howard White, none of those folks knew about my past uh, through all these years. It <sighs> was it was a ch- it was challenging to to get the I guess you could say courage to say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna share this story yeah and and then uh, you know when I decided to share it there were a number of people that I was like I want to make sure that they hear this from me before they hear it some other way. And right, uh, at the top right. of that at the top at the top of, of that list were at the top of that list were Michael Jordan and Phil Knight. And so I reached out to both of them. Uh this was during COVID. So I reached out to them via text and said, Hey, something I'd like to share, you know, something personal I want to talk to you about. Phil hit me back. <clears throat> Him and I uh scheduled a call. This was like on a Friday. We scheduled a call for that Monday. Had the call that Monday. Um uh, I kind of said, Hey. You know, just want to share something I'm working on. My daughter's convinced me, blah, blah. And I go through the whole story with Phil. And he said, he said, uh, he said, wow. He said, when well, you said something personal, he said, I didn't know what to think, but I definitely wasn't thinking this. And he said, he said, but I agree with you in sharing this story. He said, I think it's an inspirational story. It's an aspirational story. And I'll help you however I can. And then uh, a couple of days later, I got on a call with them, and it was basically the same thing. I went through kind of like, hey, my daughter convinced me to share this story, and I go through the whole thing with them. And after I was done, there was silence on the other phone for, it was probably only a couple seconds, but it felt much longer to me, right? And then he said, I agree with your daughter. You need to share this story, and whatever I could
0: do to help, It felt like an eternity. And so... It did. It did. It did. Listen, I, I, it, as I as I hear this, man, there's so many things. So first off, the level of imposter syndrome, quote-unquote, because, you know, that's one of the buzz terms now that you were feeling was probably so heavy on a whole nother level. Yeah, not but the, the fact that the freedom, the freedom that you then got through then your transparency of sharing this and letting this go how much lighter did you feel at that point? Because Larry, you said this was forty years, yes. and the level that you were executing at is already a stressful level as a black male executive, and then you had that on top of it. Like you must feel like you can fly right now.
1: <laughs> no, seriously, it's been uh it's been an amazing uh, lifting of a burden. I mean, I I feel. And and, and you're, you're right. I did feel that imposter syndrome. And especially when I was be talking to young people, when I'm, you know, kind of sharing my career background yeah. and stuff with young people. I always I felt I always felt like I was cheating them, like I was not sharing the whole story. And that used to heat me up because I yeah. would tell them about my career stuff, but I couldn't tell them about the other things. And and that that to me was Man. was cheating these young folks out, out of so so you're right. And and I was always um always waiting for that other shoe to drop, waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder or waiting for no. somebody to say, Hey, you know, and and the the crazy part about that, is that, I kept putting myself in these high profile jobs where the chances of that <laughs> happening became greater and greater, right? I mean I, the, oh, the oh, Trailblazers job really
0: scared me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you just knew they were going to do a deep dive well they did and
1: you know what I found out later and this was after the book came out I found out they actually did do a deep dive and they found out some stuff and they hired me anyway which was I I, I have big respect for Paul oh, I love that. For, for that, yeah they, they, they had the NFL do a background check they came back and said hey we think this is him we found some felonies and stuff and they 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 came to Paul and put it to him, and he said, "Well, how long ago was?" They said, "Like thirty to me. He said, "Don't worry about it." So he they, they, David Stern, David Stern knew Paul Allen knew, but you know, and and all the time I'm worried
0: to death that they're going to find out, and they already some of them already kind of knew anyway. <laughs> and so you know what, context, Larry, is everything, and, and I say this because. There were times when I felt like you could have done more or be more vocal or present with certain topics and situations when when I was at Nike. And as I now have more context, it gives me more clarity and a deeper understanding as to potentially the why, right? And we, we often use this saying, perception is reality. But what we don't finish that statement with the key piece of it, which is perception is reality to the uninformed. And This is a situation where I feel like I fell into the box where now I feel like you were moving in a very strategic, very intentional way because you had a much bigger picture of a vision um, that was not necessarily to increase. And you were kind of alluding to this before, increase the size of the bullseye on your back because we all have that, many of us, Um, but but make sure that you are able to actually execute against the role that you were equipped to do. Without somebody using something in your past to prevent you uh, from it, am I right on track with that? There, you 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 are a hundred percent, and I,
1: I um my goal always was to do as much as I possibly could, given the circumstances that I was dealing with. And um, right, you know, you you know, you know, for me, uh, again, I I was always in the back of my mind, you know, waiting for someone to say, "Hey, aren't you or didn't you?" Or aren't you the guy? And so, for that reason, I was always um, cautious, very cautious. I didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I avoided conversations about my background. I, you know, I, I would just. I, I, I developed over the years a way of kind of skirting things without really saying anything directly, because I didn't want to say anything that might lead somebody to start raising questions that
0: could lead back to my path. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and you you also talk about, a little bit about your upbringing and what role did it play in kind of shaping your approach to life. How is your upbringing translated through your work and how you foster relationships?
1: So I I come from a a large family. eight kids at one point it was eight of us my mom my dad my grandmother my uncle all of us living in a three bedroom one bathroom house so wow so so you had to become close to people because you didn't have a choice because we we're you know and, and it, it was it That's was right. a uh but it was a good upbringing i mean there was a lot of love and you know I was always told uh, that I could do whatever I put my mind to. I was always encouraged to, you know, hey, you know, you can be anything you want to be by my uncles, by my parents. And so I mm-hmm. grew up believing, believing that. And I think at the, in the back of my mind, that's one of the things that kind of kept me going, because every time I would get put into a situation or have to deal with whether it was a different job or something different, I always had this feeling in the back of my mind, like, okay, I can, I can figure this out. I, I, if I put my mind to it and think about it, I can figure this out. And I think a lot of that came from my upbringing because that was kind of Spotless. instilled in me. It was instilled in me as uh from a young age that, you know, Hey, you have the ability to do whatever you put your mind to. I didn't always listen to it. And I think there were a lot of times that people saw me more in right. me than I saw in myself, but, but that that's right. Um, that thinking was always in the back of my mind, and I think that had to had a lot to do with uh, my family upbringing, um, the way I was uh, treated, the way I was uh, encouraged as I was growing up. And I think um, my one of the things that I really felt bad about is I felt like, um, you know, I disappointed and let my my family down when I by getting in trouble and doing Your the family things
0: been, that I did. Yeah, okay.
1: I felt like I, yeah. I I always and so you know i've always tried to since i've kind of gotten on the right track i've tried to make that up to my family by being supportive and being there for everyone but i felt like um they saw the the capacity that i had and i just didn't see it myself but um but again it was always there for me and it, and, and they instilled something in me that i think it helped me to to be successful today <clears throat> i also think the street, uh, the street life that I got into that also helped me build my career. I mean, in living in the street, you have to be able to read people. One thousand percent. You have to be able to read situations yep. and understand, you know, what the situation is, and yep. uh, uh, because you're dealing in life and death in a lot of cases, and uh, and so yep. I feel like that that really gave me the opportunity. The other thing is, um, you know, one of the things people say is. Well, man, I barely get excited. I kind of, because I'm thinking like, hey, you know, nobody I got a gun to my head, I'm not in front of a judge trying to, you know, plead for my life, we could figure out how to sell more sneakers. That's, that's,
0: we could do that. You know what I mean? It's sneakers and t-shirts, sneakers and t-shirts. Yeah, Keep yeah. it simple. Yeah. Earlier, you were mentioning, you know, that when I got back on track and, and when I look at your whole story, I think it's all a reflection of being on track because we needed Those moments and those opportunities to show somebody coming from, whether it's mistakes, decisions that were made, to then show that there's opportunity still to tap into the gifts that God created and placed in you um, at the highest level (laughs) in your example. And those early decisions were a part of getting to that. So I actually applaud you because there's so many more people that you were going to help with this so many more individuals who have made decisions or had circumstances come in their way that they are now going to feel super optimistic and motivated by the opportunity to continue to reach or go after their respective passions or things of interest, right? Where had you not shared this or had this not happened to you, there wouldn't be a reference. There wouldn't be a reference, right? Anybody could talk about it. Like, yeah, yep. you can go to jail, come out, and be the the president of, of the Jordan brand. Like people could say that, but people might be like, "Ah, really?" But can you? Yes, yeah. you absolutely can. And so <clears throat> again, my my applauding of you is very high in the fact of not all that you've achieved, but your power and transparency, allowing your daughter to chip away and and make you open up about this.
1: You know, one one of the things that you you hit on this, but one of the the reasons that I, one of the other reasons that I decided to do this was the fact that I, you know, I, I think about and realize every day how blessed I've been, how blessed I am. And my thought was I wouldn't be showing my appreciation for how blessed I've been if I didn't share this story, if I didn't That's right give, you know, share this with the opportunity to your point to maybe help motivate and inspire some other people um, that they can do it. I, my daughter and I uh, went into a juvenile justice center in Philadelphia uh, a few months back and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these young people and I could see myself sitting in those chairs. I, I, that's saw, right. I saw myself sitting in those same seats. And if I, so if I was there today, if I was coming out today, I couldn't do what I've been able to do. And I think that's, wow. one, of the, that's one of the things that I want to point out by sharing my story is the fact that programs like this work are um, needed They work they're and, needed and so one of the things uh harvard business school uh did a case study based on my story based on my book and okay. one of they one of the charts that they included in the case study showed that so the recidivism rate right now is like in the mid-70s like 70 percent of people who Get out, end up going back to jail. And mm. but if the, the, st- the study showed that if someone learns a skill or a trade, that 77% drops to 30%. If someone gets a bachelor's degree, that 77% drops to 6%. And mm. with a master's degree, it's zero. So to me, that's a clear indication that education can make a major difference in people's lives. And to me, you know, 92% of people who are incarcerated are at some point going to get out They're at some point. The goal should be they come out better people than they were when they went in. They went in. And I feel like I did that. I came out of better person than when I went in, but it was because there were, there was opportunities for me to improve my life through this program. That's right. And, uh, so one of one of the ways that inmates were able to take advantage of college classes was through Pell Grants, uh, which is a government. Uh-huh. That, they were eliminated for incarcerated people again back in the mid nineties. They're coming back. They're coming back. I think sometime either this year or next year the plan is for Pell Grants to be available again. But to me, the whole the whole focus shifted from helping people to become better, helping people to rehabilitate themselves to just warehousing people. And I think to me, well, right. to me, if we're gonna make a major shift in um, how the criminal justice system works, and
0: for us, our, our, it, it affects us more than it affects anybody else in this country. You know, Jordan Brand obviously plays a significant role in shaping so many cultures as we know it. Um, whether it's footwear culture, uh, fashion culture, youth culture, just to name a few, right? Because everybody talks about they're the MJ of, right? How would you describe the culture within the brand for those who've never been exposed to it?
1: So when, you know, when we when we started to say, okay, hey, we're going to build this and create this brand, um, you know, it was, again, it was me and H and a couple of Howard White and a few other folks. But our our goal was to build something, to build a brand, that reflected and represented what MJ brought, both on and off the court, and, and and that was our goal to create something that reflected that. And it's funny, I was talking to someone the other day, uh, saying, you know, he said, you know, Jordan, Jordan is is still Michael Jordan, but it's not it's not just about Michael Jordan anymore. It's the brand. Uh, he said the brand actually represents those things that, and I was like, that was our goal from the very beginning to create something, create a brand that represented yeah. those characteristics, hard work, dedication, excellence, all those things that MJ represented both on and off the style, all those things that MJ represented both on and off the court. That was our goal to create a brand that 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 stood for those same things. It reflective of exactly. that. Exactly. And I think within the culture, um, you know, MJ, when, when folks looked at everyone, especially black folks, they looked at, there was a certain sense of pride. You know what I mean? That's right. I, I tell people this. My mother, who couldn't get care, couldn't have cared less about basketball, loved some Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Because about MJ that? just represented this uh, strong, you know, black male who was dominant on the Absolutely. court, who was cool. I mean, all, all these things. That, excellence, ex- excellence, excellence. The Michael Jordan of, like you said, everything you know was this person is the Michael Jordan of, and again, our Boston Creed brand that represented that and. You know, it's taken us a while to get there, but you know, I I think we, I think we're at a point now where um, the brand is really—it's a part of. It's not only has it um, helped create culture, but it's a part of culture now. Jordan, Jordan is Jordan is about a part of culture now, and it has a place in culture. And I think a lot of it is the, like I mentioned earlier, sustainability. I mean, we've been able to build this over years and uh, continue have it continue to grow and expand no. but when we started you probably noticed, this answer, when we started our focus was on the black community it was on that kid who yep. you know our target consumer was that kid who lived in yep. the hood who was a leader on the basketball court but also a leader off the basketball court i mean that th- we, right. we had clear characteristics that we were looking that we were looking at as far as our our target consumer is concerned I think one of the things that helped us to build this is that um, we tried to to maintain that focus no matter what. I remember, Man. <laughs> I remember when we were first getting started. The brand was just kind of getting going, and we were starting to have some 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 success. And I got a call from Hollywood Promo, the Nike Hollywood Promo office.
0: Yeah, we're in the Yeah,
1: and <laughs> they said, uh, they said, hey, uh, we just heard from uh, from InSync. This is what NSYNC was hot at the time. They said right. NSYNC is uh, performing halftime at the Super Bowl and they want to wear Jordan. And I was like, you know what? Let, let me think about that for a minute. And I got the team together and we kind of kicked it around and the team was kind of split on it because, hey, it's the Super Bowl, but it's NSYNC. And so I, I had to make the call at the end of the day. and uh, And I decided not to do it because to me, yeah. I could see. That wouldn't resonate with our core consumer. And I don't want, you know, to me, Ryan. I think, especially when you're in the building phases of a brand, but I think period, you know, you don't want to confuse your consumer by like, well, hey, that's are they right. talking to me or are they talking to somebody else? And so uh, so I decided not to do it at that point. And we've got a number of those kind of channels along the way That's to say, hey, if we're going to be true to this consumer, we need to make sure that we do everything that focuses... The, the the interesting and maintain that integrity. Yeah, maintain a, that exactly. integrity. The interesting thing, and and I and I believe this all at that point is like, if we if we locked in our consumer, we'll get everybody else, and we have at this point. There you go. And we have at this point. I mean, at this point, you see all kinds of people wearing Jordans, but it was because we focused on our core consumer, and we were we were authentic to that of consumer as as much as we right. possibly could, and I think. Because again, I, I still think that um, a lot of the trends and the things that uh, affect this country, this community, this society come, start in the hood, start in our communities and, right. then, and then go out from there. And, and so I think our focus, on, we focused on the right consumer and the results are what we're seeing now.
0: I love it. No, and you're spot on. And you know, we start the show off with to whom much is given, much is required, right? and looking at the impact and the success that the brand has had over the years, I feel like there's an obligation to kind of use that as a means for collective betterment, right? Because of this social currency that you're you're referencing. Um, is there something that you see in society or culture, as we know, um, that you feel the brand can help play a key role in addressing, helping, changing?
1: So one one of the things that we realized from the very beginning Uh, when we were creating the brand was that um that we had to figure out a way to give back to the community and that was something that was part Mm -hmm. of our that was part of part of what we when we started out that was part of what we wanted to do and um the first i remember having this conversation with mj about hey how you know what's our give back going to be and his comment at the time was he said, well, we should figure out something to do for teachers because teachers have always been an important part of my, my life. So we started a program uh, that was called the Jordan Fundamentals back then. And we would give uh, teachers could apply for a grant uh, for a grant from for any project that they had going on in their classroom. And at the time, uh, again, this was the deal for us, but the goal was that we would give a minimum of a million dollars a year through the Jordan fundamentals, and so we started. That was yeah. at the very beginning, and we did that. We set that up, and uh, that was going for for a lot of years. And then um, I, when, when I when I came back uh, to Jordan, I realized that we had mm-hmm. we had stopped the Jordan fundamentals program, and I think had kind of blended in with what Nike was doing, right? And um, mm-hmm. and so when I came back, I, I you know my thought was, hey, Jordan figure out what's best for Jordan. What does Jordan want to, want to get back? And Nike's Nike's right. thing was about right. getting kids moving and sports and activity. I was like, that's, that's great for us. We decided education was what we were going to focus on as a brand. And mm-hmm. so, um, so some years back, I was meeting with one of our retail partners and we were having this conversation and, and I, I mentioned exactly what you just said. I said, you know, uh, the impact that our brand and the influence that our brand has on these young folks, we need to figure out how to use that to motivate them. We need to figure out how do we utilize that connection they have to our brand to motivate them. And, uh, and so we had that conversation and about, about a month or so later, he came back to me and said, Hey, I was thinking about what you said and and me and my team came up with this idea. And so we started something called, that was called A's for J's, which was, in, in three mm. high schools in Philadelphia, because the, this the, the retailer was uh, headquartered, it, it, it headquartered in Philly, uh, it was Villa uh, by I was thinking, Villa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the uh, we started with three schools in Philadelphia, three high schools in Philadelphia, and the, they worked with the school system, and actually, kids could get credit towards Jordan product by getting good grades, by improving their grades, by attendance all these things so and the program was really it was really successful we and so we started talking about how do we expand that well what we settled on was instead of expanding so much the high school program let's start looking at what happens to these kids once they're done high school and kids that have the ability the desire to go to college but don't have the wherewithal to do it so we started something called the Jordan Wing Scholarship Program. We started this probably yep. six or seven, maybe seven or eight years ago, where um, every year we award like 30 or so full free rides to kids from all over the country who work with community organizations who kind of bubble up the kids that uh, that they think should we should consider. The Jordan team then, along with the United Negro College Fund and the Rockefeller Foundation, then go through and, like we'll get applications of a hundred kids, and then narrow it down to here are the thirty that we're going to provide these. And we've been doing that every year. We've got hundreds and hundreds of kids now that we have put through, uh, and and it's any if a kid can qualify and go to Harvard, we'll pay for it. If they want it, if, if they right. want to That's do right. uh, beauty school, we'll pay for that also. You know what I mean? Therefore. So 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 uh, we we so so again, it's always been. Um, at our core, since we started this, giving back to the community has always been something that we, you know, we we focused on. And and again, it comes from MJ. A lot of people don't know all that MJ does in terms of his his give back, right? Because he doesn't do it because you know he wants people to know about Before it. for that he doesn't and, do it for and that. We kind of took that same approach in terms of the way we do our give backs. You know, we don't, you know, we we're not. Uh, Shouting it, we'll talk about it a little bit, but we're not shouting it because that's not the reason we're doing it. We're doing it because we believe it's the right thing to do, and because we feel an obligation to do that. I remember when we first were getting started. I remember saying to the team at one point, "I said, look, our people expect MJ to get back.
0: They may not expect Tommy Hilfiger to get back, but they expect they expect that's right. Michael that's Jordan." Right. But Larry, look, look how God works. Because when you listen to your story. And then you look at the position you're in and you look at the positioning that the brand took on giving back. And what was the positioning? Education. The very same thing that was the guiding light that helped bring you through your initial trials to then bring you to the point where you're at today. And it didn't come from you. This, like, do you not see how God works? It came from MJ that you then executed on while still holding the secret. Cause this, you still they still don't know at nothing this point, at this point. No, they don't know. No one knows. Yeah, this this just gets deeper, and when you just look at how this is truly a reflection of everything happens for a reason. No, and I, everything.
1: I, I, I agree, and you know one one of the um, and I I, I would be remiss I, I didn't mention this, but one of the, the 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 if not the most important thing that came out of this. For me personally, uh, in addition to relieving my burden and all that, the most um, the most important thing that came out of this for me was that I got an opportunity to sit down with uh, the family of the young man that I shot, yeah. and and to actually uh, express to them how sorry I was, uh, share how remorseful I, I was, and um, and uh, met with it was his sister um, his two, at his two children, his son and his daughter. And, uh, yeah. they each expressed, you know, what, how this, how it impacted them and how, uh, you know, how it affected their lives. But at the end of it, each one of them, each one spoke individually at the end of it, each one of them said, but I forgive you. And to, to me yeah. that was like, that, that there there's, nothing more that not, that was the best thing that could have come out of this whole situation for me is that you know That's to right to hear and they're they're amazing people and they like i said they were willing and expressed to me that you know their forgiveness and i and i couldn't ask for anything more than that to come out of this so uh that that was that was the biggest piece of for me personally of what, what came out of this
0: yeah and you know what man, none of us are perfect but we're all forgiven so i'm glad you got to hear that from that family for sure to help to get a little bit more closure right. because on this be, right because to i you on. know
1: over the years um you know I, I had to work on forgiving myself right and i yep. believe that god has forgiven me uh you know i have because i and, absolutely percent now to have the family also forgive me i think that's uh, that that's been an amazing uh, release
0: of a burden for me. Listen, and given that your, your next chapter might be the next chapter, the best chapter. Agree, because <laughs> look, look. I mean, so here's an interesting one. How, as we then, as minorities in America, how do we do a better job of not leading with a mind state of judgment or critiquing one another for our flaws, our missteps, or our shortcomings you in know, life?
1: um... I I you you said it I mean we all make mistakes none of us are perfect none of us mm-hmm. do everything right yep. and I think um you know the more we're willing to accept people for who they are forgive folks for the mistakes that they make allow people to uh redeem themselves I think you know to, it it makes for, for a better world it it just uh, mm-hmm. you know I, I I'll never um advocate that Hey, if someone commits a crime, they should pay that debt to society, whatever it is. But I do think that um mm-hmm. I do think that people should be given the opportunity to redeem themselves, to change their lives to um you know, to be able to move forward and 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 have something positive come out of their life and be able to be contributors to their community.
0: Listen, I always say struggle does not define you. Struggle exactly. refines you. Doesn't define it doesn't define, it's refining us all. And I mean, and again, you're a perfect example of it. And as you talk about the burdens that you've released, like I'm, I'm serious, like y- your best chapter might be coming and you've accomplished so much. And so I might be teeing up the next <laughs> chapter with this question. And cause we asked, you know, we say, look, the opening scene to your life documentary is about to start the Larry Miller story. What song is playing in a while? So I'm a big uh, Marvin
1: Gaye fan, and I'm a big fan of uh, the album What's Going On. I think uh, Uh it would either be What's Going On or Inner City Blues.
0: Okay, why? Because
1: I think both represent... Like, Marvin, if you listen to What's Going On, that album, it's relevant today. The things that he's talking about are yeah. relevant today. We're still dealing with the That's same issues that were talked about. I mean, and there's a, uh, uh, there's a, a line in, 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 um inner city blues, this talks about trigger happy policing. You know what I mean? It's just, and, and, and this mm-hmm. song was, this song was done 40, 50 years ago. It's still relevant today. And, and to me, those, those are songs that have a clear message about, the things that we're dealing with, the things that we need to fix, and I think those songs point out those issues. And and uh, and again, I I just think hey, to me that that album I listen to it every so often just to kind of replay in my mind, Love like
0: it. okay, you know, I, I, I yeah, exactly the reminder exactly. So we we always close with this as you've planted so many seeds already today because um, we make the correlation to, you know, planting seeds and watering them and watching how they blossom into these amazing cultures. But what are the three seeds you would want to leave with the stewards of culture moving forward? If there are three key seeds, what um, would those be? I think the first
1: one would be uh, maintaining authenticity. Stay authentic, you know, the, to, to the culture. Don't try to fake it because, you know, you can't fake it. The whole idea about fake it till you make it, That I don't know think that works I think they can get you have to be authentic people mm-hmm. see through it when you're when you're you're not authentic uh I guess the second right. one to me and I, and I and I I credit uh I really credit um hip hop and the whole hip hop movement whole hip for this but like us being the reaping the rewards of our culture because at the end of the day Other people have been benefiting and reaping the rewards from the things that we bring to the culture. We bring it and somebody else benefits and gets rich off of it and makes a bunch of money off of it. And I think one of the things that that hip hop did was change that narrative in a lot of ways. Uh, Whether it was creating their own record labels, creating their own brands. I mean, things that, that weren't really considered a thought about hip-hop movement came on when they're like no nah, well y'all don't want to y'all don't want to uh give us a deal we'll create our own exactly we're gonna exactly. do it ourselves well. that's and right I, I, we need more that I've energy and I've always had the utmost respect for that and, and so uh, again to me the, the second one would be you know for us to realize the rewards of of the seeds that we plant in, in culture and uh and and again I think yeah. the third one kind of uh, refers to something you said earlier, but it's like, don't be hard on ourselves. I mean, really, you know, forgive, treat each other with respect, treat each other with love. And, you know, so so to me, it's like there's enough to go around for everybody. You know what I mean? There's enough there. We right. just have to figure out how to get it, how to maintain it, how to hold it, and then how to share
0: it with each other. Larry, man, um, I think I started with this in the beginning, that I've always had a fond respect and appreciation for you. Um, but after this conversation, that has grown tremendously for a number of reasons, but one of them was the, the notion of forgiving yourself and the weight that we put on ourselves. And I'm, I'm thankful that you were so honest and transparent about that and just how heavy that burden was for you for years, for years. Um, And I'm just so thankful for you finding the strength and transparency and, and trusting God and knowing that I can release this burden, I can tell this story, and it's not going to hinder or hurt me. It's actually going to help So for that, I sincerely, sincerely Uh, thank you, I appreciate
1: that, and I appreciate you inviting me to come on and and share some thoughts and ideas with you and, uh, you know, have always respected you. uh, You know, to your point, we didn't get a chance to work directly together, but I've always respected who you are and what you bring to the table. And um, I I, uh, thank you for for giving me the opportunity to share, share
0: some of my insights and thoughts with you. No, this was awesome. Thank you, my friend.